Good evening. Wasn't that a great young people's meeting this morning, youth service? Wasn't that good? Amen. Did a good job. You notice all the kids sitting in the front this time? You notice all the young people sitting in the front? Not just the kids from Delana's group, but our young people as well. It's good to see them all here this morning. Amen. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at what some call revivals or renewals or awakenings in the scriptures. We uh, looked at the first one under Nehemiah in chapter 2. Then we looked at God's call for his people to, uh, when they wander away from him and there's judgment upon the land, to come before him to, uh, to pray, to seek his face, and to turn away from the sin. Then we went to Nehemiah chapter 8, where we saw another revival under Ezra. Tonight we want to look at uh, the fifth one in our series, and this is the revival under Hezekiah, as given in Second Chronicles chapter 29. I have called it God's perspective on spiritual renewal, Hezekiah, Second Chronicles chapter 29. Now, of course, it goes actually through chapter 32, but we don't have time tonight to go through all of those chapters, so we just look at chapter 29. Now, the reason for doing this is to see what are the elements that God requires if we are going to experience his power, his presence in our midst. And when you go through all of these uh, recorded revivals or awakenings uh, in Scripture, you'll find certain things occurring again and again. And we'll bring those to your attention as we go along. So as we look at Hezekiah, though, we see that he focuses on the necessity to go about renewal, and it's recognized that it's needed to do it immediately. And as you go to especially this chapter 29, you'll see his emphasis on doing it now. Now is the time, the urgency of renewal. Let's see what God has to say to us from this passage. So please turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 29, and we go at verse 1. We're going to do it as a Bible study. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he came the king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Now, as you study the chronology here, the conclusion is that Hezekiah probably co-reigned with his father uh, Ahaz for a few years before he became sole ruler of the country, of the nation. His mother was Abijah. Now, this is something else that you have to do a Bible study to find out. When you do a study of the kings, you'll see that, you remember the nation was divided into two parts, right? Northern, southern, right? And they had kings on each one. As you go through the history, you'll see that there were 20 kings for each side, north and south, Judah and Israel. And... In one side, all northern tri- on the northern kingdom, all of the kings were evil. The southern tribe, Judah, you have 
where there were good and evil kings. And it so happened that it seemed that you had an evil king, then you had a good king, you had an evil king, then you had a good king. One of the things here, though, you will not see this phrase, his, the, the name of the king in too many of the evil kings' record. In other words, I think it's only two of the 20 kings that were evil that their mother was named. But when it comes to the good kings, almost in each case, their mother was named. Now, this is quite interesting because it shows you the impact of a mother in the life of a child. Um, and it's interesting here also was that Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was one of the most wicked kings of all times. In fact, after a while, you'll find that the records say that there was no, much, there was no such evil since the day of Ahaz and so on. But now when you come to Hezekiah, his son, he was a good king. And his mother is mentioned. And I believe, and this is only speculation, I believe that's the way of the Holy Spirit pointing us to the influence of a mother upon a child's life in spite of how evil the father may be. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Notice, just as his ancestor David had done, he didn't mention his father because his father Ahaz was an evil king, evil man. Now, verse 3. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. This is where we begin to see the urgency of renewal. Let's look at it carefully. Notice, the very first month of the first year. You know, politicians like to say, when I get in the office on the first day of office or the hundred days, I'm going to do this. Well, here is Hezekiah. The first month of the first year of his reign. He didn't waste time. He went about beginning this renewal with a sense of urgency. Notice what he did. The very first of the year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He did two things. He reopened and he repaired. So his urgency was not just something he had in his mind, but he did it. He did it. He knew it was urgent, and so he got to work to do it. The very first month of the first year. And the lesson here for us is, as believers, if we recognize and acknowledge that we need God to come into our life and to renew us and to revive us, then we must go about doing what is necessary to bring it about immediately. We cannot procrastinate. We must do what is necessary. And he began by reopening the door of the temple and repairing them. Now, notice some of the things that are necessary. Verse 4. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. The priests and the Levites. The priests were the head uh, of the spiritual leaders. The Levites were their assistants. Or today, if we want to put it in our terms in the church, the priests were the pastors and the Levites were the deacons. But they were assisting one another. He summoned, this is the king now, this is what uh, Hezekiah did. He summoned the priests and Levites 
to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites. He's addressing the Levites. This is really strange. The ones he should be addressing would be the priests. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. He's saying, he's pointing on actually to the responsibility of the Levites. This is what they were supposed to do. And it has to do with cleansing. It has to do with purification. It has to do with getting rid of all that hinders God's work in our lives. So in a practical sense, if we want to see renewal, and this is what all of the other events showed us as well, we must begin with self-cleansing in the sense of forgiving and acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin, and asking God to forgive us. God cannot work in our lives unless holiness is present in our lives, as individuals and as a corporate body as well. Necessity of holiness, we cannot do. No matter how many things that we try to do, and we have to face it, we are in a spiritual dearth right now. There's no doubt about that. What are we going to be doing about it? How are we going to go about doing it? It must begin with purification of ourselves. No matter what programs or plans or monies we put in it, if we don't have holiness of life, it still will not accomplish the renewal, the revival, and the awakening that God wants. Now, he goes on to tell us the reason why the worship was stopped. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. And I'm sure when he's saying this, he's thinking about his father, his dad, because he's one of the most evil of them all. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the temple's entry room, and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary, the God of Israel. Notice the things that they did. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. To put it in practical terms, they stopped attending the services. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place because It was the temple where God was recognized to be. And so when they stopped going to the temple, they stopped worshiping. Not only that, it says they turned their backs on him. That's the the reason why they didn't attend the services anymore, because they turned their backs on him. And one of the evidences is that they turn away from worshiping God as well. Notice it goes on. They also shut the doors of the temple's entry room. Now, you have to put this in context. You'll see that the Levites are responsible for supplying all of the things that were necessary to keep worship going, bringing the wood in, bringing the oil in, bringing all of the meal, everything that was necessary. They were responsible to see that those things were there. So it appeared as though the people actually stopped their giving as well, and so there was nothing to bring into the, uh, the temple to get the work going. They shut the doors of the temple's entry and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. Those were the reasons why God uh, turned away from his people because they turned away from him. They stopped worshiping him. They stopped giving to him and so on. Now, notice verse 8 because it's very clear. This is why. This is the consequences of their sin. This is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah 
and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule. As you can see with your own eyes. He says, look around. You can see Israel does not have the reputation, the prestige, the respect that it once had. Now we have to look at ourselves as the church and ask ourselves the same way. Do we have the respect? Do we have the regard? Do we have the reputation of being a place where God is seen in his power and his holiness? Look around. Because of this, notice again, this is why, because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. In other words, all the calamities that has happened to them, it's happened because the fact that they stopped the worship they stopped attending the worship service. They stopped giving. They stopped living holy lives. That's a consequence of sin. God turns away from them. Now look at verse 10. Here's the proper response to this. But now, notice again, now is a sense of urgency. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that in his fierce anger will turn away from us. I will make a covenant. He says he is going to take the initiative and it is now. He's not waiting. He's not going to, he doesn't have to pray over this anymore. He knows what the cause is. He knows what the solution is. So he's going to put it into place. I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. See that? They were neglecting what God had called them to do. And as a result of that, there was a falling away from God on the part of the people. We as pastors have to ask ourselves the same thing. What is the reason for any spiritual dearth or lack of power? Is it because we have neglected our duties towards our people? We have to face that very personally, corporately, and honestly. Do not neglect your duties any longer. They were doing it. They need to begin to do what, they use, what they're supposed to do. Notice this. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence. This is a privileged position. This was a privileged job they had to stand in the presence of God, to minister to him on behalf of the people. Notice, the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. In other words, the leaders are to be the models, the example of godly living, of holy living, of sacrificial living. We are the ones who are to model what God wants from his people. And if we've not been doing that, what Hezekiah is saying here, get back to doing it right away. Now is the time to do it. It must begin with us as leaders. It's not... It doesn't begin with the people. It must begin with the pastors. And we had, a, we had a solemn reminder of that just today when we had a very serious talk with the chairman of our board of deacons, pointing out so many things that needs to be done that we should have been doing and we have not been doing. And we have to acknowledge that, confess it, and get back to doing it. And that's why this passage tonight was so vivid to me as I was going through it and listened to all this discussion we had today. It seems as though God was saying that is correct. That is right. Here is what we need to do. Pastors, it begins with us. We cannot pass the buck. It begins with us. He goes on. 
then these Levites got right to work. Notice again the urgency. They didn't waste any time. They got right to work. And they named the different Levites who involved, who did this, and they got right to work. They didn't waste any time. Soon as it was acknowledged, the same that they realized what was wrong, they got right to work. And again, I say this is what we must do as well. But let's go on. These men called together their fellow Levites, and they all purified themselves. Now, notice now, these are the assistants to the priests. These are what we will call the deacons today. They're the ones who are doing the work. These men called together their fellow Levites, and they all purified themselves. Then they began to cleanse the temple of the Lord, just as the king had commanded. They were careful to follow the Lord's instructions in the work. You notice that? They were careful to follow the Lord's instructions. In other words, to do what God says. Obedience to the word of God. Verse 16. The priests went into, now is the priests, not the Levites now. The priests went into the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord to cleanse it. And they took out the temple courtyard, all the defiled things they found. From there, the Levites carted it all out to the Kindred Valley. So now, the priests and the Levites begin to work together in order to cleanse the temple and to get it back in shape for the people to worship. Notice again, they began the work in early spring, on the first day of the new year. And in eight days, they had reached the entry room of the Lord's temple. This is a note to show you how quickly it was done because there's a lot of debris that was there over the years. Then they purified the temple of the Lord itself, which took another eight days. So the entire task was completed in 16 days. The point here, the implication, the emphasis is it was done quickly. They didn't stop until the work of cleansing was done. The work of purification of the temple was done. They purified themselves, then they purified the temple. Notice this now. Then the Levites went to King Hezekiah and gave him this report. I like that. There's a report that's going back. Here's what we've done. We've accomplished the task. We have cleansed the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the table of the bread of the presence with all its utensils. We have also recovered all the items discarded by King Ahaz, who was Hezekiah's father, when he was unfaithful and closed the temple. They are now in front of the altar of the Lord, purified and ready to use. Isn't that beautiful words? Purified and ready for use. The idea, ready to be used for the glory of God. It was done, and they're ready to go about it. Now, the worship is restored. Early the next morning, King Hezekiah, not wasting any time, not the end of the week now, not the Sabbath, but the early next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials and went to the temple of the Lord. They're going back to church, as we would say today. They brought seven bulls, seven rams. They're starting to give now. And seven male lambs as a burnt offering, together with seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the temple, and for Judah. The king commissioned the commanded the priests who were descendants of Aaron to sacrifice the animals on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Next, they killed the rams and sprinkled their blood on the altar. All of this is the idea that worship is being restored. And finally, they did the same with the male lambs. The male goats for the sin offering were then brought before the king 
and the assembly of people who laid their hands on them. The priests then killed the goats as a sin offering and sprinkled their blood on the altar to make atonement for the sins of all Israel. The king had specifically commanded that this burnt offering and sin offering should be made for all Israel. So what you see here now is a unity in the work of the leaders concerning the ministry that God had called them to. There was a unity, there was a working together, and worship was restored as a result. A beautiful picture of how we should be doing it, with pastors and elders working together hand in hand to restore and to rebuild the work that God has called us to. Now notice this. See the centrality of the word of God again. King Hezekiah then stationed the Levites at the temple of the Lord with cymbals, lyres, and harps. He obeyed all the commands that the Lord had given to King David through God, the king Seir, and the prophet Nathan. The centrality of the word of God. The word of God is being obeyed. The Levites then took their positions around the temple with the instruments of David, and the priests took their positions with the trumpets. Again, you see the unity here. So this, this worship is not just road worship. This is a joyful worship. Notice verse 27. Then Hezekiah ordered that the burnt offering be placed on the altar. As the burnt offering was presented, songs of praise of the Lord were begun, accompanied by the trumpets and other instruments of David, the former king of Israel. And one of the things you'll notice through all of these revivals or awakenings is the idea of joyful worship. Worship that is characterized by joy. And that's what we have to be praying for. We see more and more growing in this, that our worship and our song is characterized by joy. Then the king and everyone with him bowed down in worship. King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the Psalms written by David and by Asaph the seer. So they offered joyous praise and bowed down in worship. And my beloved, this is what we have to do more and more here, to be, uh, express ourselves in joyful worship to the Lord, being excited about our worship and so on. Verse this now. Then Hezekiah declared, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, bring your sacrifices and thanksgiving. Notice, the praises, the worship cannot really begin until after we have consecrated ourselves. Consecration is first. The idea of repentance begins with consecration. Bring your sacrifices and thanksgiving, offering to the temple of the Lord. So the people brought their sacrifices and thanksgiving offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings too. The people brought to the Lord 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 male lambs of burnt offerings. They also brought 600 cattle, 3,000 sheep, and goats as sacred offerings. They were giving again liberally and joyfully. Notice verse 34 now. This is very interesting. But there were too few priests to prepare all the burnt offerings. In other words, there just were not enough priests. They had enough Levites, but they didn't have enough priests. To put it into our situation today, we'd say we didn't have enough pastors, although we had enough deacons. But there were too few priests to prepare all the burnt offerings. So their relatives, the Levites, held them until the work was finished and more priests had been purified. 
for the Levites, now notice this, the Levites had been more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. The, put it in our terms today, the deacons were more concerned, more conscientious to get right with God than the pastors were. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? They were more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. Later on, we're going to show that they were ashamed. They, they became ashamed of that when they recognized that that was true. Conviction came upon them. The Bible says that they were shamed because of this fact. There was an abundance of burnt offerings along with the usual liquid offerings and a great deal of fat from the many peace offerings. So what it's saying here, two things. Number one, there are leaders are needed to lead God's people in the way they should go because there's much work to be done. And they must have people who will assist them, but people who but they have to be the ones to take the lead. They'll be ashamed, they'll become ashamed when their assistants are more conscientious and more willing to sanctify themselves than the priests are. That's quite a reversal of responsibilities. Now, verse 35. So the temple of the Lord was restored to service. That's a glorious statement. The temple of the Lord was restored to service. They did what was supposed to be done, and they did it quickly. They did it with urgency. They consecrated themselves. They purified themselves, and everything that was needed to be done. The Levites and the priests worked together to do what was necessary, so the temple of the Lord was restored to service. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoice. Notice this statement. This is an odd statement because of what God had done for the people. Now, reading that story so far, you don't read nothing that God did. It was all done by the Levites and the priests and the king. Didn't say anything about God doing it. But now, we see that it is in fact God who was working in the Levites, God who was working in the priests, God who was working in the king. They rejoiced because of what God had done for the people. My point is this. No matter what we might do as pastors or deacons, no matter what sacrifice, whatever everything we do in the final analysis, if it isn't God who's doing it in and through us, it wouldn't go anywhere. We must acknowledge the fact that it is God who works in us for his good pleasure. Notice this. All the people rejoiced because of what God had done for the people. Not what the pastors had done, not what the deacons had done, not what anybody, but what God had done. Here is the reason why. For everything had been accomplished, what? So quickly. They didn't waste time. There's no time to waste. And we have to do the same thing. And in fact, that is one of the challenges that Charlie gave us today as well. We don't have any time to waste. We've got to put things that need to be put right. We've got to do it now. No time to waste. We've got to get going on doing what we need to do for God's power and presence to be restored in our ministry. Now, as I said, this isn't finished here. We got chapter 30, chapter 31, and chapter 2. Many more wonderful spiritual lessons here. But when you look it over, here are some of the things we have to see that are necessary for um, that we need principles that we need to obey to think about as we think about renewal. Number one, once the need for renewal is recognized and acknowledged, 
it must begin immediately and with a sense of urgency. Would you agree with that? Number two, personal cleansing from all known sin must be done immediately. One of the things that has really gladdened my heart during the prayer meetings, and we want to encourage you to come out to our the prayer meetings, we begin tomorrow morning again at 6.30, wherein folks begin to ask God for forgiveness for failure in their own lives, for sin in their own lives. That's an evidence that God is beginning to work in our midst. We trust that you will come out. Personal cleansing from all... Now, of course, you don't have to come to prayer meeting to do this. You could do this in your home. You could do this anywhere. But personal cleansing is necessary. Complaining and criticizing will not be sufficient. You've got to begin with yourself. Number three, spiritual leaders must model this cleansing process. We must be, we must be the ones to be willing and ready to admit our failures before God concerning our ministry. We failed in any way. We must be willing to confess to our people that we have sinned and we ask your forgiveness and we look upon with God's help to give us the power and the grace to go ahead and to do what he wants us to do. Number four, adequate leaders, we should put sufficient leaders, must be appointed to care for the spiritual needs of the people. Listen, the work of God is a huge work. It requires a lot of people. One, two, three, four, five, six people cannot do it. We need all of God's people involved. All of the leaders must be involved. All of the people must be involved. But we must have sufficient people to do that. That's why we need to be praying for God to raise up leaders, both men and women, to carry on this ministry here. Amen? Number five, worship and thanksgiving must characterize the entire process. Even while we acknowledge and confess that we've failed and we've sinned and we're not where we should be, we should still be thanking God for where he has brought us nonetheless and what he's going to be doing in our lives. That's going to be a necessary thing. Amen? How many of you have, uh, well, you might have it here, but you've driven in the United States. How many of you drive in the United States? How many of you use the GPS? You know what the GPS is, right? What happens when you miss a turn and you have one of those voice things? What does it say? Say, please take a U-turn, a legal U-turn as soon as possible. Isn't that right? A legal U-turn. They emphasize legal. Take a legal U-turn. Get back where we go from in order to get on the right track. Well, that's where we are. And in fact, when we go into chapter 30, 31, you will see that's what Hezekiah will be emphasizing. The fact that we've got to turn around. We cannot keep going on the same road and expect to have the success that we didn't have in the past. You understand what I'm saying? We must make a U-turn and get back to the Word of God. Get back to holiness. Get back to living pure lives. Get back to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for, for the work of God and for Jesus Christ. U-turn. Next time we're going to be looking at repentance and what this is all about and see the characteristics here. I'm going to end. Any questions or comments on this study? Would you...
chapter two. Priscilla, hold them if you're going to use oh, the microphone. Okay. Um, I see in the names of the same name, Abijah, mm-hmm. and in Luke chapter two, where Zacharias was of the tribe of Abijah, and we see where Aaron also mentioned in Luke chapter two. Also, you see there's a similarity in here where Aaron mentioned. You, you could sort of is there any relationship? Well, they're probably related. I can't go into all of that right now, but you will find uh, a lot of the people whose names are mentioned are mentioned for a reason. They will come back up again in the scriptures somewhere along the line to show uh, where they're descended from or who they're connected with in some form or fashion. You'll see that, for instance, Zechariah is mentioned here. And uh, you'll see that some of these prophets were ministering uh, along with these kings at the same time. Um, But those are more for details to be studied in a Bible class rather than in a setting where we want to look for practical, biblical uh, principles for our living right now. All right? Anyone else? Pastor, uh, one observation I gathered from this reading tonight is the importance of the church and the state uh, working closely uh, together. And I think that should be very much fostered here in our country if the problems in the Bahamas are to be uh, corrected, the church and the state must, must work, must work uh, together. I think that is true, Nathaniel, but we got to begin with the church. In this instance, though, it seems like it began with the state. Hezekiah, which was the king, initiate uh, the uh, problems in in um, uh, the state. Right, but be careful how you associate the king with, with a prime minister or a president today. Israel was a uh, nation chosen by God. It was uh, ruled over by God. Um, and when he first started, actually, he worked through the kings. Um, and also, later on, through the prophets, of course, Kings were supposed to listen to the prophets and everything, but that's in a theocracy that cannot be applied to any nation, only a theocratic nation. And I think that's where we make a mistake today. We look at the Bahamas and try to say it's like Israel. That's not true. And so the principles vary. The principles are quite different. But at the same time, when you look at the role of the state and the role of the church, there's no doubt that God meant them to be complementary, not in opposition to one another. If the state does what God called it to do and the church does what God called it to do, we'd have a perfect world. But of course we have sin, and that causes everything to be turned upside down. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Anything else? All right here, Marlene. This is an observation. Oh. Um, 
you give us an example in scripture and you talk about your leaders meeting and specific things that you all confessed and said, this needs to be done if we want to see God work in our midst. Um, I was a part of a Campus Crusade as a missionary when lots of praying, lots of fasting, when we were believing God to work. And this was more on the leader's part because as a missionary, I didn't know this was taking place until we all got together for a staff training. But you can say fire seeds of revival break loose. But just like you said about the leaders, one of the things that caused, that contributed to, I mean, and they said they don't mind us talking about it, we just can't call names. Missionaries repenting of anything from stealing, from being envious of other ministries, of not reading their Bibles for five years. One of the things that broke it open was when the vice president repented of moving from California to Orlando without consulting the staff, just expecting 6,000 6, families to move with, without consulting anybody. And he just repented of inconsideration and how it, some families were really negatively impacted. The move, it, it shook up some families. But anyway, it was interesting that humility on the part of the leader just opened the window for a lot more. So I share that as an example to say it would be a blessing to, as the Lord leads you all as leaders to hear some of the type things that you talked about. Because when I've seen in the past, other organizations did that. It helped us in our repentance as the group. Well, I think if, that is true. And if I, that I, makes I, any sense. But like you say, that has to be how the Lord leads. Leads, that's what I said. You know, and it'll be... Right. I For believe, show or anything, that's right. true. Yeah, and you God can't uses, manipulate. You can't manipulate. And it. God uses different people at different times to bring about things. Right. In one case, it might be the leader. In another case, it might be the guy who's sweeping the street outside. You know, it's just how God works in the life. The thing is, each one of us have to be ready to do what the Spirit of God tells us to do. And like you say, humility, and that's one of the first things we talked about with Nehemiah. Humility, we have to be willing to confess our sins and our failures to one another. And with a leader, especially to the people of God that we lead. And that is one thing I am struggling with right now myself, really. Thank you. And I, you know, it's interesting. It wasn't, two things happened. It really wasn't the vice president that spoke first. It was a woman speaker of all things. And that's unusual because our that's leaders. Right. The Lord don't use women for nothing. Yeah, like that. <laughs> so that was humbling for this organization. First of all, for a woman, a woman who was this, happened to be the speaker who said, let's turn our pews or our seats into an old fashioned mourner's bench. So it was a woman, and that took everybody off guard. And it was the congregation bowing and some going ahead to the altar, even though they didn't say come to the front as an altar. But it was. It was the, everyone else repenting. And in the middle of that repentance, then when the VP repented, and then things just broke loose Amen. for days and days of repentance. Well, let's pray that God will enter our minds in the same fashion or somewhere like that. All right, anyone else before we close? Last one, then we'll close out. How many of you are ready for God to do something different in our midst? 
five. That's a good start. Someone else? Andy, what are you doing here? I thought you were in Long Island, man. Um, they're having a... Um, we were just told to wait, probably for the next two weeks. They're going through the procedures now. Okay. For us to uh, prepare us to get there. So um, they asked us to give them an extra two weeks on this. Good. Um, we, should, we should have been there on Thursday, but we, uh, we, we went by the advice also. Okay. Um, after prayer and after um, finding out if you have the leaders, what is the practical applications which you put in place to qualify the leaders as leaders and deacons? And well, the qualifications of the leaders are always the same. No, I mean in terms of the church. I know, I know, I know about the elders and the deacons, but I mean what you're going to put in application in terms of teaching them to get to that level. Yeah, that, that's one thing we'll have to put in place to be a little bit more, uh, perhaps a little bit more structured oh, yeah. than we have right now. Okay. But that, that's one of the things we're working on because we see the need for new leaders, young leaders especially, and we're trying to put some things in place right now to get that going. Okay, that's good. But let's continue to pray. Anything else anybody wants to say? That's really important. Not that you all didn't say anything important, mind you, but I mean, <laughs> well, you got to watch what you say, right? I'm telling you. <laughs>